Hello, listeners. This is Tim Vandenberg, and I want to welcome you back to the podcast known as, in your best Jimmy Stewart voice, Talking Um Ah Jimmy Stewart. Our guest is philanthropist, former actress, and all-around good citizen Peggy Helmrich, or as you may know her by her showbiz name, Peggy Dow. Fans will best remember her as Miss Kelly, the nurse in the 1950 Jimmy Stewart classic, Harvey. You'll hear all about her involvement with that role, her thoughts on working with Jimmy, and her personal reflections as a member of the greatest generation. Before we start, or maybe immediately after you listen to this, Google her name and take a look at all of the amazing work she has done on behalf of Tulsa, Oklahoma, including with the Tulsa Library Trust. She even has a women's health center named after her, as well as a school of drama at the University of Oklahoma. This barely scratches the surface of her work, so please look her up. We met by phone recently, and I enjoyed our conversation. I hope you will, too. Hello, Peggy Helmrich. Hi, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Fine, thank you, dear. Well, a diviner grace has never brightened this enchanting face. Uh, <laughs> really? <laughs> Back as though you're, you're televised. I mean, you're, you're what, do you, what do you call it, facing this? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not FaceTiming it. You're not being watched. <laughs> But I guess we could have done that. I didn't even think about it. Well, yours would be enchanting, dear. Mine's <laughs> a little bit older than that. Oh, well. Oh. oh, gosh. Well, how nice to hear from you. Well, thank you very much. Thank you for uh, responding to my letter. And uh, I wanted to, uh, for all of the Harvey fans, um, you are beloved. And I thought it would be wonderful to talk to you about your experiences in Hollywood and with Mr. Stewart and some of the great work you've done over the years in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Right. Yeah, so maybe just for listeners, uh, maybe you could tell us a little bit about where you grew up and um, what your upbringing was like, what what your parents did for a living and that kind of thing. Well, I grew up in two small towns, and I think that was really my saving grace. I... I have a real affection for small towns and people there. I think they're sort of the heart of America, and I loved it. I grew up in a small town called Covington, Louisiana, uh, and uh, Athens, Tennessee. Uh, We were, we, my father moved to uh, Tennessee because of the war and uh, because you know, his business there. And so uh, I went to uh, a girl's school. I was born in Mississippi, and I went to a girl's school in Mississippi because that was the only place that girls would go to school, of course, in my area of (laughs) expertise, my mama said. And, of course, that's exactly where she says. Then uh, after that, we had a choice. It was a... Um, junior college so after that we have a choice of colleges or uh, you know in those days it was sort of the only thing to do was after you went to school about two years while you got married that was the only thing left so my sister and I opted to go to universities I went to Northwestern University and she went to Colorado University. I think she had much more fun than I probably did. 
but I had a great deal of fun. It was a tough school Northwestern was, but it was well worth it. And there I met Pat Neal, Charlton Heston. They were a little ahead of me, Uh, but that was all right. You know, it didn't make any difference, that age uh, group. And Paul Lynn was in your class, is that right? Right. So, uh, at any rate, we uh, subsequently got out to California, and... um, I went to Universal International, uh, just thrilled to death to be there, and got a contract, seven years, of course, and um, found myself in Hollywood in a, a movie studio that was completely foreign to me, except for the acting aspect, which I wanted always to do and love the whole concept of acting and being 21 years old it was just the most exciting uh, venue I could ever have hoped for. You had gone out to California to visit a friend and your your family had a writer friend is that correct? Yes um, uh, a friend of my father's a Mr. Lesh knew a writer in Los Angeles and he invited me to dinner and he said, Peggy, the first thing you have to do is get an agent. Well, I had no idea what an agent was. I thought agents sold insurance, you know, and that was sort of the end of it. And I uh, followed his directions, got an agent, and the young man was very wasn't so very young, actually. He was from Brooklyn, and he was about 60 years old, and he was a marvelous agent. And he really believed in me, which was kind of shocking. He said, I think you really have a talent, and we're going to try everything we can and see about if it works, if it doesn't. Had he seen you perform in anything? He had just heard me read, okay. and that was about it. Yeah. So, you know, read different parts and plays, and we had just done it sort of casually and over uh, Cokes and, and uh, coffee and that sort of thing. But he had seen enough people. He knew what he was looking for. I suppose so. Yeah. He seemed to know, or at least he convinced me that he knew. And anyway, he, he, he was able to get into different studios, and, and that was a good thing. And uh, at Universal International, it is now called, I think it's renamed itself, it's, it's Universal Studios. But uh, I found myself in a uh, classroom with Rock Hudson and Tony Curtis and Piper Laurie and Dolores Hart and Annie Pierce um, and uh, Peggy Castle and all of us were anxious and eager to perform. So uh, the first chance I had was in a, a movie that 
they asked if I'd like to do a scene uh, for the part in the movie. But they said, Peggy, we cannot take your, this film cannot be taken off the, the uh, studio uh, floor because it, um, we don't want anybody to find out what the plot's about. It's a wonderful plot and we want to keep it a secret so you can't take the film off the studio lot. And the whole point of taking a film off the studio lot was that you wanted to have some film of yourself that the agent could take round to the other studios and s sort of show them what you looked like under the lights, under the camera, and, uh, you know, whatever they thought would sell you as an actor. And uh, that's that was the most important thing. So I was terribly disappointed. But I did that piece of film anyway. And then when the film was made by the studio, I got that part. So it was well worth it. Yeah. <laughs> the movie called um, Woman in Hiding with Ida Lupino and Howard Duff was in it. And uh, he was very popular at that time. Of course, Ida Lupino always was in that, those days. Yeah, uh, Stephen and, McNally, correct? <laughs> that's right, Stephen McNally. And um, it was really quite an exciting film, especially for um, a new actress doing a first scene in a movie. You know, it was, it was really exciting. <clears throat> Yeah, I'm going to call out some of these actors who later appeared with Jimmy in other films. But Stephen McNally uh, was in Winchester 73. He was. Uh, right after that. Right. right, with Jimmy Stewart, I think, yeah. Yes. Um, and you, you appeared in The Sleeping City uh, with Richard, is it pronounced Conte? Um, yes, Richard Conte. Uh -huh. Okay, yeah, and I, I see he was, I remember him from Call Northside 777. Oh, right. <clears throat> and then later, The Godfather, so he had a, a pretty wide-reaching career. <laughs> well, at least I was uh, happened to be in the films with some very wide-reaching characters. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Any other memories uh, from those early film appearances? You know, um, I do want to tell you something about Jimmy Stewart. Yeah. I had... A, a group of girls from the small town that I lived in in Tennessee. And, uh, you know, they were just lovely ladies, and, and they had come to California, and, oh, they wanted to see a studio, and so I kind of guided everybody around, and we had dinner, and they stayed for a while. And this was during the making of Harvey. And one day, they were all in the dressing room with me, and the makeup man was putting my makeup on for Harvey, and yeah. uh, uh, all of a sudden, Jimmy Stewart walks in to the makeup room, and all these girls are sitting around him, and everybody just sort of went, oh, Jimmy Stewart, you know? I mean, they were, everybody was just in such awe and surprise. And he walked in with the coat he would carry around, 
and Harvey's hat, as you recall, yes. that he always sort of put his finger through the holes where the rabbit's ears belonged, you know. Uh-huh. He was the most charming person to sit and talk <clears throat> to me and my small town friends who were charming in their own way. But he was so delightful. I can't tell you, Tim, how much that impressed me. And he didn't just come in and say hello. He sat down and sort of, you know, made himself comfortable. And he was there to stay, cross his legs, as you can remember. He always did, and great long legs. It was too funny, always. And he, he was just so kind of giving of spirit. Do you know what I mean? Yes, yes. And he, he was like that with everybody. He didn't seem to have to be in a great important group of people. He, he was absolutely gracious in whatever group he found himself. You know, it was just, it was just a lovely trait he had. And I always, I always will remember him for that. Mm. And be so grateful. He was charming. Well, let, let's back up a little bit and uh, let me know how you got that role to begin with on Harvey. Well, if you really want to know the truth, I didn't want the role. I had uh, been assigned uh, the part of an Indian princess in a movie called Arrowhead, and it was with Van Heflin, and Van Heflin was very, very popular at the time. I was so excited about that. Of course, I had to wear a wig, and I had to get brown contacts because I am very, you know, blonde and blue-eyed and mm-hmm. whatnot. And um, oh, I just thought it was the most thrilling thing. And my agent came over and said, oh, let me tell you, you're not going to do that. You're going to do the nurse and Harvey. And I said, I'm not going to do the nurse and Harvey. I said, that's no part. For goodness sake, I'm going to be the princess in this Western. Don't be ridiculous. Oh, Peggy said, you, you can't be serious. This is with Jimmy Stewart. And I said, I love Jimmy Stewart, but this is a princess role. Don't you understand that? And this is... This is an Indian princess. I can't wait to do it. I just learned to ride a horse, and I don't oh. don't want to try, you know, to think about being a nurse. That's just so boring for everybody. I'm sure it will be. Well, I was dating a young man by the name of Walt Helmerk at that time, and he would come out from Harvard University in Boston to see me on the weekends, every week. I don't know how I ever got out of school, but he would fly clear across the United States. And of course, we were eventually married, but he was furious with me because I would not consider doing the part that he said, Peggy, it will be a classic. It's been Broadway and blah, 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 blah. And I wasn't at all interested. And I said, Maury, don't come back to me now. I'm going to do that Western. Mm. So the two of them got together, and we all went to dinner. I don't know how that happened, but we did. And finally they said, you've got to do this movie. It will be one that will always, you know, will always remember. 
So I said, okay, 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 I'm not going to fight you anymore, but I don't want to do it. <laughs> and, of course, it did turn out to be a classic, and it's still being shown today, so oh, yeah. I guess it was a real classic. And oh, yeah, and did your husband uh, like to remind you? Constantly. <laughs> he never, God bless him, he never let me forget that. Yeah. And, of course, he was always right, and he also reminded me that he was also right. <laughs> hey, have you, did you ever hold a Harvey viewing party at your home? Never. Never no, did. But I'll tell you what I have done that I've enjoyed very much, and that is I've gone out to some nursing homes where, you know, there are people sort of my age now, and we view the movie, and then they ask questions. And it's great fun to to sit there and talk about and reminisce, you know, about the movie. It was was really marvelous. And I remember um, Jesse White very well. He was so funny. I used to see him in New York. Well, and I would go to New York. He'd be on business, and I'd go roundabout with um, Jesse White. And uh, we would, you know, we met several. Very, as a matter of fact, I met Neil Simon with him, and Neil Simon subsequently came to Tulsa to be in our uh, distinguished author series oh, that we do here. So yeah. that was fun. So this was way after the fact, after you had retired from acting. After the Harvey team. was over, and we, I was married and had a child or two, I think. Mm. So, yeah, and Jesse yeah. White remained associated with that role uh, again on stage and on the the Hallmark production. Of, yes, he did. Yes, he did. He yeah, was great, great actor. That's right. So I wanted to know a little bit about the production of Harvey. Um, did it feel? Because I know a lot of a lot of money was paid for the rights to do the film. So did it feel like a bigger production compared to your other experiences up until then? Oh, uh, yes, it did. You know, when you're that age and when you're, you have a job in the movies and you, you are so excited in, in every venue you happen to be in, you, you don't really... Uh, it was years later that I realized how important that role was in, in my career and in anyone's career and how fun a movie it was and how memorable. And uh, at the time, I had, uh, you know, in the movie with Ida Lupino was, uh, we, we traveled all around and did all kinds of things. And um, Harvey was, very localized on the set. We we didn't move around, you know, or to different locations hmm. on the city. So at the time, it did not uh, sort of have any importance to me about uh, all the money that they had put into it, and of course Jimmy Stewart being in it and whatnot. But um, I think later on, in later years, we realized, you know, what a what a marvelous opportunity that had been for me. What was it like working with director Henry Coster? He was so funny and so cute. 
He was married to a Peggy also, you know. Is that right? Oh, he was very cute with me about that. And her name was, of course, Peggy Moran. And he always kept a little bust of her in every movie he ever made. And this was on a desk somewhere in, in one of the scenes. And we all used to look for it like mad, you know, and then he would pop it out. And <laughs> there it would be in every, just about every other scene in the doctor's office and whatnot. It was really fun. Oh, wow. We'll have to look for that. Yes, you have to, really. <laughs> uh, it's cute to did see. you have a favorite director while you were there in Hollywood? Oh, absolutely. Mark Robeson. Yes, he... Uh, he directed a movie with Kirk Douglas about, oh gosh, I was, I promised myself I'd not forget that, about a fighter, Ruth Roman, I think that was one of her first uh, movies, um, and uh, let's see, Kirk Douglas, I think Arthur Kennedy was in that as well, and uh, it was really a very moving, desperate sort of movie about fighters and how uh, crooked, you know, that sort of uh, problem can be, I he, suppose. He was your bright victory director, correct? Right, he was. Okay. Was, absolutely. And uh, went on to direct Bridges of, Bridges of Tokori. Uh, part of it, yeah. Oh, okay, part of Peyton Place and Earthquake in the 70s got into the yes, disaster. Yes, right. he did. Yeah. He was marvelous. He was, he was so understanding, and he, he just loved all his actors, and uh, he, you know, he, he was very kind to us. Uh, all directors aren't actually kind. <laughs> Some are exceptional, but he, he was just an absolute brilliant, just darling man. He was really, really. Uh, and he had been a um, screen cutter, and so he knew exactly what he was looking for, you know, in almost every scene, and you didn't have to do it over and over. And it was really fun to work with him because he was so thorough in the beginning of every movie and explained everything he was trying to do, and we all felt a real part of it. So that was grand. As a universal player, would people be assigned to work with you to read for your roles or were you left alone to do that no i was really left alone and uh my agent would call and say all right right after this role you're going into such and such and right after that you're going into such and such and you know it sort of never let up but we didn't care we were young and just oh we were so thrilled to be in that that movie sort of uh, circle, it was just, it could have been more thrilling. Mm. And now I can look back on some of the movie uh, oh, uh, posters I have here in the house, and I'm astonished at, at the wonderful parts I had that were really kind of different. Um, I was loaned to Goldwyn one time to do a movie um, that was sort of... Do you remember the movie, The Best Years of Our Lives? Yes. With uh, Frederick March and Myrna Loy and... Yeah, and uh, notoriously beat out 
uh, It's a Wonderful Life for Best Picture that year. It was a Wonderful Life, right. Yeah. And it was about a young man who had lost both his arms. You remember both his hands? That's right, yes. And that, so he, this was sort of a, a follow-up with that in a sense in that they depicted World War One and a couple that happened to be in that war, Millie Dunnock and, um, oh, I've forgotten the, uh, anyway, he and Millie Dunnock played the parts of people involved in the First World War. Mm. And then Dana Andrews and Dorothy McGuire were the Second World War contenders. And finally, Granger and I uh, played the part of the young soldiers going off to Korea. It, it was a three-generational movie. It was really fascinating mm. and uh, did not get the acclaim it should have, I guess. But uh, it was so good and fun. It was a different kind of role. And I really, really, we had such a good time. Farley Granger was so much fun. And um, Dorothy McGuire was lovely. And we had, uh, we would go up to Catalina, down to Catalina, over to Catalina, and Dana Andrews' boat. So that was extra uh, sort of uh, candy on the side. It was such oh, yeah. fun to go on those trips with them. All of us would go together. It was fun. I have a note that Jim Backus was in that cast as well. Do you, do you have any recollections of working with him? <laughs> yes, I do. We all loved him. And he, he would always, you know, play Mr. Magoo for us. Or uh-huh. uh, out of the blue, he would sort of pop that in, you know, <laughs> to a line if he forgot something or other. And we'd all laugh instead of us. He was in Bright Victory. But he was not in the movie, uh, the Goldwyn movie. Okay. But, uh, oh, he was such fun. He was absolutely hilarious. He should have been a stand-up comedian. He kind of, yeah. but he, he did everything so well. He was, and he was very supportive of, you know, young people, which I was very happy about. And, um... So was the counterpart, his wife, and that was, um, oh, I'm terrible. I should have all these names written down somewhere for you, Tim, and I don't. <laughs> well, it's been a while back. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah like over 60 years, yes. I guess. <laughs> that is astounding. You, you were so young when you started out. That is amazing. Uh, oh, uh, I, let's, let's circle back to Harvey for a moment. You talked about... Um, Jesse White, are there, do you have any other, you, you shared something the other day, I think it was about uh, Cecil Kellaway, um, <laughs> and I, I thought people would enjoy hearing about that. Well, he was marvelous, you know, he had such a wonderful line about what I would do is have cold beer and a lovely woman in Akron, Ohio, <laughs> Jimmy Stewart could never understand why. Yeah. He wouldn't. He said, no, I wouldn't say anything, and she wouldn't say anything, and I'd just have cold beer and, and this lovely woman, and, and I'd be in Akron, Ohio. He said, no, I couldn't understand why you'd be in Akron, Ohio. And he, that was such 
seen, and one of the most important ones, you know. He, he was such a, he was so congenial. There was, that was just almost every one, every past member uh, was, we were just kind of happy to be together. It, it was mm-hmm. great fun. And Charlie Drake and I and his wife was charming. They were so dear to me, and um, he's gone now, of course, and uh, I guess everybody's just about gone in that movie. Uh, I think I think they're all in heaven waiting to do it again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Maybe, well. I hope, anyway. But, um, oh, he, he was, he was, comp- you know, you just think of all the movies Cecil Calloway was in, and... Um, I don't mean Callaway. Who do I mean? Cecil. Um, oh, I think that's right. Callaway. Callaway. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, how he, he was. He was always himself, but he was different enough, you know, mm-hmm. to make every party ever sort of played exciting. And Jimmy Stewart was the same way. He played different kinds of people, but he had a sameness that never grew old. Uh, I know that's not very descriptive, but it's true. You you expect to see him himself, you know. Mm-hmm. That's why you go to Jimmy Stewart movies, I think. But uh, you you never mind if he's he's different in every one, and he always was. But he was all had a marvelous, easy sameness that was always comfortable to you. You felt like you knew him, and. I think that's a great trait. I don't think all actors have that that sort of great talent to lean back on. He he, he was not at all glitzy. He wasn't Hollywoodish. He was he was so completely down to earth, and yet he could be uh, if he if he if the role called for whatever. Why he seemed to. Uh, exceed it, you know, and match up to whatever the role expected of of his character in that particular movie. He was he was absolutely um, a marvelously talented, generous, darling man, <laughs> <laughs> and he was also um, a hero. You know, I mean, when you think of his war career. It's just the most stunning thing you could possibly imagine, going, flying over Berlin. How many uh, trips did he have? Uh, mm, oh, 29 30, or 30, some, 30 right. something. It was awful. Right. Yes, and, and this uh, new book that came out over the holidays that goes into more detail about like weather conditions and um, oh, actually right. found, and, like 30 below zero, you know, and, and just uh, very primitive airplane technology back then. He would have felt oh, right. felt all of that. Yes, I, he is one of these people who you just uh, appreciate more and more the more you read about him, that, especially that that aspect of his life, the war years. Oh, I should say. He, he never talked about it, and he never would uh, sort of get into any kind of stories, but People would ask him about it, and mm-hmm. he said that, you know, he, and then I read, of course, that he watched several of the young people he knew go down in flames, and 
Oh, it was awful. Well, it was terrible for everyone, all of us. Oh, it was awful. Yeah. That was uh, my war. I was a teenager, and all of our friends, all the boys went off to war, of course, and they all fibbed about how old they were to get in the service. And and uh, we, mm, we were always uh, anxious when... The only time we, we saw young men was when, of course, they would come in a group to the different high schools and uh, little groups of, of uh, soldiers or sailors that were stationed near New Orleans or somewhere uh, near us were always invited to different parties, and that was fun. But, oh, gosh, it was... It was a devastating uh, situation for all of us at home and for all of those in the war. I remember very well when gold stars were put in windows of neighbors we knew, and the boys were friends of mine and my girlfriends, and, you know, we'd hear about the march in Bataan and, and uh, all this places we'd never heard about, we never knew existed. And it was a, it was just an interesting, horrible, but revealing time. And it was, it was awful and it was, and yet it, it was, there was an excitement about it that you couldn't overlook, you know. Yeah. <laughs> nothing, nothing would compare to it. No. Young people have no idea what it was like then. I try to get my children to understand it. And, you know, it's the times that are happening now of their friends in different services, mm-hmm. it's awfully, it's just a tiny taste of what our guys went through, you know. But I suppose that happens almost in every generation. I hope it never happens again, though. It was awful. Mm. Yeah. So what else can we talk about? Uh, yeah, we could, we could move on. Well, you had, uh, you had mentioned you described Jimmy this way, and I found a quote from Henry Coster that echoed your sentiments. He said, uh, working with Jimmy was without any doubt one of the most pleasant experiences of my life. And he Pointed to oh, his spirit, right. uh, ambition. I, I think in another interview you had talked about uh, as nurturing and supportive as he was, he was uh, very serious about his work and would talk ah. to talk to you and other actors on the set about getting it right and that kind of thing. Like that's right. You better have your lines up. That's the only time he fussed at us, and we all deserved it. You know, we would. It's interesting in movies. It, it's a whole different concept that you learned at Northwestern when you were in the drama classes, mm-hmm. because in movies nothing is ever done uh, in a continual way. In other words, you may shoot the end of the movie first, and then the beginning, and you know a month later, and uh, it was you had to depend on the the, dec- uh, the director to keep all of that straight and remind you and asked of where we were in the um, the progression of, of the, the film and um, that that was that could be 
a difficult uh, problem, hmm. uh, an issue, because you really had to kind of double think every scene you did, you know. And then if we forgot a line, he would <laughs> he would immediately tell us that was the only thing he he was professional enough to do his work and we should have been as well you know so he would remind that's the only time he ever fussed at us was when we might not have our lines down perfectly like he did always that was a good lesson for all of us mm. otherwise he was absolutely a dream <laughs> oh, he told a cute story on himself i don't know if this is written anywhere but when he had twin girls and Gloria was in the hospital with them, she said to him, uh, Jimmy, um, I want you to go down to the front of the hospital, to the driveway, and wait for me. I'm going to bring the girls down, but the protocol of the hospital requires that I go in a wheelchair. So she had a baby in both arms, and... The nurse was wheeling her down, and Jimmy went on ahead, and uh, she got to the front door, and there was no Jimmy. And she waited, and she waited. So finally she said to the nurse, here, take these babies and hold them, and loan me a quarter. That's when we had, you know. Uh, pay phones, uh, right. When <laughs> we had to put coins in. Yeah. So she called home. And Jimmy said, hello? And she said, Jimmy, what are you doing at home? He said, well, where are you, Gloria? Oh, Gloria, no, wait, I'll be at the hospital in just minutes. <laughs> he had gone home without the babies and without Gloria. He was so excited. So I had to sneak back and get him, <laughs> which I loved. He told the story on himself. Yeah, that sounds like it would have been a, a plot of a Jimmy Stewart. It really does. That is a real scene. Yeah, yeah. His, his <laughs> a sitcom or something. That's and he was so funny. When we were doing scenes in the hospital, you know, in the psychiatric uh, hospital, mm -hmm. go up the stairs, and of course there were just stairs. There was nothing at the top. You know, just we'd just sit on the top of the stairs waiting for our cue to come down. And... He would say, hmm, have you ever tried to touch your nose to your tongue? And I said, you mean what? And he said, I watched this. And he could actually take his tongue, could touch his nose, you know. So we were sitting there, sticking our tongues out at each other, and here was uh, Unimark or whoever the other nurse lady was. It was... Yeah, I'd give anything to see a, bloop, a blooper reel with with all of that going on. I bet most people, I bet most people didn't know that about him. I'm glad he shared that. <laughs> that was too funny. Anything you could do, kind of, you know, they used to say Jim Cagney used to tap dance all over the sound stage, yeah. and uh, they had to watch him because he'd make too much noise tap dancing while other scenes were going on. But sound-wise, but uh, everybody does something in that downtime, you know, waiting for 
the queues and your your scene to go on. And hmm. it was so funny to a lot of people sat around and talked about what they'd read and whatnot, but he, he was always quite interesting. <laughs> Oh, we've uh, his... acrobats, <laughs> acrobatic efforts here. Uh, but that was great fun. Uh, you, you seem to have a vivid memory from those days. I do. <laughs> I cherish every single one of them. I really do. It was, it was a great time. Did, uh, did Jimmy's wife, Gloria, make any appearances on set? Oh, she would come occasionally. Yeah. And, of course, if we had parties, she was always there. She was always very cordial and uh, beautiful. Oh, my goodness. She was absolutely the most stunning woman. She, you know, every, she had so much natural beauty and talent. It was just amazing. Oh, she had no pores in her skin, which yeah. was great. Yeah. Not a wrinkle ever. And beautiful hair and, and stunning eyes. She was absolutely lovely and a marvelous smile. And she was very, very sweet always. She was darling. Yo, I wanted to ask you, um, you, you lived at the Hollywood Studio Club. I and, did. Uh, and I wanted to hear a little bit about the experience there. And I know uh, you had probably several famous dorm mates. <laughs> That's right, I did. Yeah, tell us a little bit about that. Um, Dorothy, um, she was, uh, oh, I'll think of her name in a minute. Malone, Dorothy Malone. Do you remember okay. Dorothy Malone? Um, I'm, I'm struggling at the moment, but I can't. Well, if you, you know, you'll, you'll find her. Okay, yeah. She's absolutely stunning. And, um, the most important thing about the Hollywood Studio Club was Mrs. DeMille would come to tea. And I remember she came one time in her limousine and we were all sort of waiting for her in the auditorium and she brought Eleanor Roosevelt. And really? that was wonderful and quite an experience for all of us. We were all just stunned in awe of her, of course. And Mrs. DeMille was always so gracious and such a lady, and so, of course, was Mrs. Roosevelt, and she would chat with us about different things and why she happened to be in uh, Los Angeles at the time, and she was always there for some charity. Mm -hmm. And um, it, it, was, it was really, and it was so fun to see the different men that came to to date some of the girls. Uh, well, and just to set the stage for listeners, so this was uh, a dormitory for young actresses. Uh, you had a two-year time frame that you could live there, and then uh -huh. I guess you were kind of on your own. Then you had to move into an apartment or somewhere because, yeah. you know, by that time they thought, surely you would have made stardom. <laughs> right. You wouldn't need that sort of place to live and you could do much better than that but it was comfortable it was fun and um we all uh most of the girls there were actresses that you know really did not uh they well marilyn monroe lived there so it was fun uh, to 
three different people that would come to date the girls too, you know. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying desperately. Did, did Walt visit you when you lived there? Oh, yes, okay. he did. So you, li you lived there the whole time you were in Hollywood? I did, except for one year. Okay. I moved in with three roommates in an apartment. And that was the only time that I was sort of out of the uh, um, Hollywood Studio Club. And I made Bright Victory. And then I decided that was it. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I wasn't, um, wasn't going to continue. I wanted to be married. And I remember Dick Powell saying to me, Peggy, don't stay in this business. He said, I'll, let me ask you something. I want you to name five people, five couples that have never been divorced, never one of the, you know, couples had not been remarried a couple of times. Just name one, one a handful mm -hmm. of people, one for each finger that you know are couples that, you know, have been together and happily. And really and truly, we, uh, Lynn Fontaine and, and uh, Alfred Lunt, I think, were married and always. and uh, But not very many. Not very many yeah. at that time in our life. And now nobody knows, <laughs> you know, nobody marries anybody yeah. anymore. So, you know, you just sort of, you're just out there, and you have children, and that's it. And <laughs> you don't bother with with any of the the old timey marriage and, yeah. and so all you, the old things anymore. So you, and you married bad because I see those children, and it kind of breaks my heart sometimes. Oh sure. And I have having had five sons, it's it was uh, a revelation to me. <laughs> into your life in Tulsa without looking back and you were you were glad of your decision I was I, I, I left at the right time and I, uh, I I've been very happy I've never someone said to me now surely you miss this sometimes and I'll I do I'll say you know I think there are times when I miss it, and I, I 
because I, I, if you go to movies, you know, which all of us do all the time, it's just part of our lives, you, you just, you, 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 well, of course, I look at a movie completely differently than any of my friends do, you know. Yeah, I look to see how long the scenes are and, you know, how the tag over time was and how the lap over time was and, you know, how many, how long they could last and how long the script was on certain scenes and yeah. could they sustain the scene as long as the author wanted them to. It, it, it's, it's a completely, and the lighting, you know, you thought, oh gosh. Did, did this make it difficult for Walt to enjoy a movie with you? <laughs> Sometimes he did. Sometimes he he would kind of get disgusted with me. Enough said, about the cinematography, dear. I would like to. It's focus part on of the, the story. paralysis of analysis, you know. Yes. <laughs> you can analysis. You yep. can you can just analyze a movie to pieces. So I had to be kind of careful talking about it. But especially if he likes a movie, you know, he'd say, that, "Don't tell me anything bad about it. I don't I like that movie." <laughs> so Do you I, have uh, favorite movies you both enjoyed together? Just over the oh, years. golly. We we enjoyed so many movies together. We've we've always, you know and he loved movies and and I did too, really. And uh, it was it was just my cup of tea and, and that was uh, a great uh, I, I can't I can't tell you, you know, how many people want to be a movie person and find themselves there in a studio situation, not very many, and uh, it was just a wonderful, I was glad when I did it, I was glad when I left, <laughs> but uh, people were very kind and good to me, I was, don't feel I was ever mistreated, and I, you know, all the friends I had there and fellow actors and actresses were close, and I, I enjoyed all of it, really. It Were there lovely. other performers you kept up with after you moved to Oklahoma? You know, I did for a while, and then when you have five children in about ten years, yes. <laughs> you don't have time much <laughs> for anything else. I mean, my mother used to fuss at me all the time, and I'd say, Mother, you've got to come over here. You can't just stay in Tennessee. You've got to see what I've got to do. And uh, they were so cute because they would come for a while and say, we're going to leave you with it, my dear. <laughs> so it was quite a ball game around here for a long, long time with all the boys. It was great fun, though. I remember oh, our grocery bills were just astronomical. I don't know how those children could put away the food they did, but somehow they did. Uh, all boys, there's no wonder. We had a very big family very quickly, and that was it. <laughs> An interesting thing, my husband wanted them all to go to different universities because they had gone to the same high school, and they were always compared by the teachers and the coaches and whatnot, so they all went to different universities all over the country, and that was kind of interesting. Uh, John went to Princeton. We had one at Dartmouth, one at Columbia one at Carleton and, and Tulane and OU. So oh, wow. uh, they sort of covered the United States. Yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> anyway, you want to talk about movies. You don't want to talk about movies. <laughs> no, we've covered so much, and I want to be careful with your time. I don't want to monopolize your evening by any means. But uh, this has been wonderful. I was just going to ask what a typical day looks like for you these days. A lot, do you go to a lot of board meetings and appearances and that kind of thing? Well, I really don't do appearances, but I have been very interested in um, the libraries here. My husband and I uh, give uh, an award to uh, an author a year, and we've had people like Norman Mailer and... Uh, John Updike and uh, John Le Carre from England mm -hmm. and uh, Tom Easley who wrote uh, Schindler's List and uh, oh just we've had 37 wonderful oh, years of top notch uh, we had Billy Collins a poet last year mm -hmm. Uh, for the first time, we've had a poet that was very much fun. We've had Ann Patchett, and um, oh my goodness, we've just had the most exciting people come from Australia and from England and Germany, and we give uh, a gratuity to them, and um, we have a big gala. Uh, that's black tie, and the next day they speak to all the school children and to anyone who wants to come, free of charge. They say the same speech over again, and uh, it's just a kind of gift to the community. It's really been hmm. fun, uh, and we've enjoyed doing it so much. He's yeah, yeah. gone. My husband's uh, been gone about six years now, but... Um, it sounds We've like through all your work. Things. We have a hospital and we have uh, libraries and other things in this community that we participate in. And it's a wonderful community. You can't ever do enough. So that's what we've done. <laughs> that's wonderful. I, um, I read a quote uh, that Jimmy Stewart made about It's Wonderful Life. He was talking about the character... George Bailey, he says it's simply about an ordinary man who discovers that living each ordinary day honorably with faith in God and a selfless concern for others can make for a truly wonderful life. And it sounds like that could be said about you and your husband. Well, you're very sweet and very kind to say that. But we did have a good life, and um, I've always been very grateful for him and for all the things that together we have kind of accomplished. So that that has been a great, great uh, sort of plus for everything. Mm -hmm. And it hasn't always been just exactly easy. You know, <laughs> children get ill and and they recover, thank God, and and then the grandchildren come and. Uh, the great-grandchildren. I have seven great-grandchildren. Wow. And they are the most fun of all. That's the ones we should have started with. <laughs> yeah. If you can only choose it that way. Oh, what a, oh they are great fun. What a, what a blessing, then. You, you've lived a rich, oh, I should say. wonderful life. Uh, Mrs. Helmer, thank you so much for taking time. 
Tim, dear, you are so welcome, and I, I really have to co compliment you on choosing Jimmy Stewart to, to work on and to sort of, you know, research his life because I know he's been such a, it's been so well worthwhile for you and for all of us. Okay, if you are a fan of Harvey, this was for you. I was thrilled to be able to talk to Mrs. Helmerich and to get to hear about her life and experiences. On behalf of the Jimmy Stewart Museum, I invite you to come visit us in Jimmy's hometown of Indiana, Pennsylvania, not too far from Pittsburgh. Make your plans to visit. You can find us at jimmy.org and on Facebook and Twitter. I'm Tim Vanderberg. Thank you for listening and bye for now.